Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Listening to Talking Out Loud, still the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. And welcome back to another episode of Talking Out Loud, the only program on the internet solely dedicated to your Dayton Flyers. I'm your host, Sully, bringing you another episode of the show this week. It is the week of November 4th, and at the time of this recording, we're only six short days away from seeing real Dayton Flyers basketball that actually counts on the score sheet and in the standings uh to ring in the new season had an interview with jerry blevins that i'm going to release right around the time that this episode comes out to do a little crossover talk a little baseball now that the world series is behind us and that's always my marker uh to say that hey the college basketball season is indeed here and it is here starting next week almost every team across the country is going to open up on tuesday november 9th and your dayton flyers are no exception to that rule because the season is coming around next week i brought on my favorite guest and uh, my you know guy i watched when i was a kid now it's come full circle brooks i get to talk to you about dayton flyers hoops on my own radio program he scored 1404 points for the dayton flyers and he goes by brooks hall what's going on man great to have you back my guy, Sully, what's going on, man? I, you know, I'm, I'm available anytime. I love chopping it up with you. Oh, yeah, man. What well, Last time we caught up was in March, and it wasn't as upbeat as the start of this show. It was more kind of like, where do we go from here? Are our priorities in line as basketball fans? What did we just watch? It was <laughs> tough, man. It was yeah, tough. man. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. And then you're, you're dealing with COVID, and then you're still fresh off of that, that disastrous, you know, 19, 20 year, just – People were still hurt. So, yeah, it was a very somber interview for us anyway. You know, we're usually upbeat. and uh, But but now the future's bright. And, uh, man, I'm excited. I know we're going to get into it, but I've had a chance to get into some practices. I was at the exhibition. This team is, is uh, man, they got a chance to be pretty good. The, right off the top, what I told somebody was, I'm not sure where this season is going to go. And this might be an overused phrase, but – 
whether or not we put it all together, Dayton's got dudes. We got dudes. <laughs> we do, man. We have some dudes, and and it's honestly top to bottom. And and I know we throw out these crazy comparisons. I don't know that we've had a better a better roster from a potential standpoint, talent wise. Yeah, right there you go, talent wise, and from potential. Uh, and man, it's seen them up close. Uh, I went, like I said, I've been to a few practices. I went in there, and I'm like, I'm hearing how big and long they are from the sideline. I'm like, oh man, they're not that big. They walked over to the sideline in a huddle. They're huge. Like it's yeah. it's six ten, six eleven. You know, six seven. Just arms and legs. It, it's a very. It looks like a power five team. It really does. Yeah, and that's that's what I keep trying to assess in the early season now because you know as well as anybody that we've gotten to this point as a program where. And it wasn't this way for for many, many years, but the media has started to give us credit for just being Dayton, right? Like, oh, it's Dayton. They're going to be in the discussion. Yeah. And and again, we we really were not in that position for probably you know two decades where we had to constantly earn our respect. Like, oh, you know, we went out and beat Kentucky. So what? You beat Cincinnati. So what? Oh, you got to go win the A-10. It was like Dayton was always earning their respect for a very long time now. And again, for whatever reason, maybe there was a 2020 season that uh, that helped this. But I hear guys talking about, and I'm talking about national media, of course, for the listeners. They right. talk about Dayton and they go, oh, well, the Flyers, they'll be up in the conversation again. And so when I look at our team, I try to assess, is this does this team have the look of a Power 5 team? And on paper, just like you said, I really do think that we have probably the most talent I've ever seen in the preseason on a roster. But I wanted your perspective on something specific. Brooks played from 99 to 2003 for any listeners that wanted me to backtrack real quick. When you look at the guys on the team now or even in the last couple of years, what is the biggest difference between the teams now versus the teams that you played with um, in the early 2000s? athleticism. I won't necessarily say strength because, you know, we don't look like a bunch of bodybuilders out there aside from Moose, yeah. right? Um, yeah, but- yeah, Moose Sissoko <laughs> does look like a bodybuilder. Yeah, I mean, so so aside from Sissoko, you know, we but we are super long and athletic. Um, when you have four or five guys that are, are I want to say, what, what was the, the Chris Wright crew? They had that little nickname, the the, the Marcus Johnson. Club. Yeah. The Other than that one group, Dayton typically does not have that type of athleticism. Oh, well, yeah. now you have the fight, the flight club where you've got guys with, you know, 40 inch verticals, 30, 35 to 40 inch verticals, but they're six, seven and six, eight on top of it. Yeah. You've got four or five Chris Wrights on the team. And, and that's the biggest difference to where you land a Chris Wright type athlete every now and then. Now we're, we're consistently getting them and it's starting to become the norm for these rosters. Have you ever had a discussion with AG and the crew about how they're recruiting? Because I mean, you know, the last 20 years, it was, let's hope to get a couple of guys locally. Of course, yourself included, Chris Wright, Juan Staten have been just the three notable local guys that we recruited to stay in the area. But, you know, transfers, really weren't that big of a deal in the 2000s, let's say. Then the Archie Miller era, they got a little bit more important. You know, like Jordan Seibert was a transfer, did a lot of things for us. You know, have you had a conversation with AG about kind of their strategy and then geographically where they go? Because right now, Dayton is filling the roster with a lot of guys from the South, 
a lot of guys internationally and in turn a lot of those guys are coming through the transfer portal so like how we're fielding rosters has completely changed from even five years ago right yeah, no, and that's a great question. And I have not had a conversation with AG, um, but I have talked with with Rick, or we, we call him Rick, um, Coach Greer, who was, you know, deservedly promoted recently. Um, he, he's yeah, he's the word. MVP behind the recruiting, and I don't think that's a, a kept secret anymore. No. Um, and, and so basically where that has gone is, is they've evolved their recruiting with the evolution of recruiting itself, meaning, like you mentioned, the transfer portal is now a thing. Um, going after those – power five transfers you know that's what we get to money and we'll get into that later uh, but Tamani is their best player on this roster it's not a coincidence that he came from a, a p5 school yeah um, you know going out and getting weaver last year um, and if weaver can can keep his emotion in check and, and really be a selfless player he could have a, a, a man a hell of a couple of years yeah. Um, but getting him from usc that that's kind of the transition and then you can kind of see what ag he brings in that I don't know that bravado where he comes in, he's got an NBA background and, you know, coasted a P5 school. So he has kind of elevated the program and expectations. So now you see us in the conversation for four and five star recruits. So I think it's it's a it's a when answering that question, it's not just one thing. I think the, yeah. the recruiting, it's, it has evolved with the transition in college basketball. But then also the elevation of the program has allowed us to now go after those four or five star kids. Yeah. And you're right. It is. Um, it's a little bit of everything. It, it is a yeah. little bit of the transfer market. It's a little bit of relying on Dayton as a program institution to bring in freshmen. You know, we're winning over some power five schools right yeah. now. And, and, you know, I think that I'm not going to sit here and be surprised by that because as a fan, as an alumni, I, I think a lot of people feel like it always should have been that way. And there were certainly some years there where Dayton's like, oh, you know, we're, we're losing guys to Virginia Tech or, you know, I'm, I threw off a random team because they're on our schedule this year. But you yeah. kind of get it like the lower power fives. Dayton should have always been getting kids over those schools anyways. Um, but winning cures all. And I think it's always going to be a downhill spiral in that regard to say, hey, you know, we were winners two years ago. We need you to come here and, and help us win some games. So I think your point is well taken. And, and for the listeners out there, I think that is how Dayton is going to continue to elevate themselves as a program is doing a lot of the little things right as opposed to just one thing you know like the solution isn't oh let's always stay in ohio oh let's always right. go to florida let's always go dominican republic it's going to be let's find a mixture of those guys to put all the pieces together because if i'm not mistaken i mean it, it you could probably speak to this it seems like ag and and coach rick R mm -hmm. ricardo greer they kind of have a really good idea of how to fill out a roster nowadays, right? Yeah, they're they're awesome at that. And that's why I'm confident Dayton is going to sustain where they're at now yeah. because there's a feel that they have about recruiting. So you have some coaches even, use this analogy, you have some coaches that are, are X and O guys and you have some coaches that kind of go with the flow of the game and can adjust. Your, your better coaches are the ones typically they're good at X's and O's, but they really have a feel for the game. Well, same thing with recruiting. They've got a feel for their game. They're in touch with the, the pulse of the roster, what they need, even from a, let's dig a little deeper, even from a personality standpoint, it, it's easy to go after talented kids, but talented kids that also mesh with your culture is important. 
And, and it's not by mistake that these guys aren't missing very often. Think about like when AG came in and cleaned house back to the serious, you know, Williams days and, yeah. um, you know, uh, yeah, coast. Yeah, man. So where he was going through that transition, how often has, have they missed since then? You know, it, they don't miss very often. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, and that's not by mistake. They, they've got a formula, but again, they, they just have a feel for what they need and they go for it. Yeah. And, you know, being brutally honest, um, that was kind of Archie's downfall in the recruiting trail while he was at Dayton. And, you know, for a number of different reasons, it wasn't necessarily one thing or the other. You know, Archie, um, he slid a couple guys in the back door at UD that maybe shouldn't have been there or maybe didn't do as much due diligence to figure out if they belonged at Dayton or if they were going to get playing time. I mean, that was always Archie's knock. And and I know that he was doing his job. He was earning his paycheck. He was trying to fill out a roster. But I'm not breaking news to say that there were a handful of guys during his era that didn't work out at Dayton. And you probably could have seen that writing on the wall before they got to campus. I say that because that really has not been the case for Anthony right. Grant. And, right. and thankfully so, because, God, it was tough there for a couple of years, like, it felt like Dayton was always in the news for the wrong things. There was yeah. the allegations against Kavanaugh, the allegations against Dyshawn Pierre. You know, those things got sorted out, thankfully, in an amicable manner. And then you had the the uh, Devin Scott and Jalen Robinson thing, the Detwan Rogers thing when he got to Dayton. I mean, it, it felt like every other year there was just something going on. And thankfully, you know, over the last couple of years, the biggest thing we've had to talk about is, you know, the pandemic that affected everybody and not necessarily just us. I mean, we took the, the brunt of it uh, having a successful team. But you're right, man. I, I think that if you want to make the argument that the program's headed in the right direction, that's exactly where you start is that right. yep. AG actually has kind of put. I don't see his money where his mouth is, but he's actually kind of demonstrated the culture that we've wanted to have. Whereas Archie kind of just was a, we're going to win games at all costs kind of guy. And if the culture fits, it fits, but winning is paramount. I think AG is finally, you know, now found a nice balance between winning and also being like, this is Dayton basketball, right? No, that's a great point. And, and, and it starts with belief in yourself and your system. And a lot of people, let's be honest, man, if we go back, a lot of people were questioning if he was the man for the job. Oh, yeah, and, definitely. Definitely. And, and, and he, he had a vision. He, he surrounded himself with, with a great staff. And so now it's easy to say, man, look, it's rolling and, and Dayton is, is where we need to be and we're going to continue to climb. But I got to give Coach, you know, AG and staff credit because it didn't always look this clear. There was a whole yeah. lot of man. What are they doing <laughs> early yeah. on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? oh yeah, definitely. And and I know I, I got this text from uh, from a friend this past week who said, you know, what if Dayton has their Coach K? You know, and, and I'm not the biggest Coach K fan myself. I hope that AG doesn't um, bring up or you know just like make up health concerns when we start losing because Coach K has <laughs> been like famous for that. But um, you know, I, I thought about it some more, and I've always said this is that. AGCing success is in the greatest benefit of the university and every alumni, you know, point blank. Um, but it is possible that we could have our long-term guy because there really isn't another basketball mind. A guy as well-connected through the NBA, through the college ranks as AG. And having an alumni at the helm to kind of foster that culture is so important. And, and so you're right. I, I think that I'd have to agree with you. And it feels like the program is in 
the most stable spot that it's been, you know, probably since you got to campus, man, like, you know, 20 years prior when we were just digging ourselves out of those like really dark days. Yeah. And, and even then, 20 years ago, you know, and, and I got to go back to a point I made where I said he doesn't miss very often. Let, let me be clear. You're not going to land on you're, you're not going to hit on every recruit. Right. No. Like it just doesn't pan out for. But the key is you can't have three or four misses on the same roster. Exactly. Right? You're going to have one every couple of years. That's cool. And that's why he's successful. But if you look back at some of our other rosters, we've had three or four misses on the same team. Yeah. And, and that leads to subpar seasons. But but A.G., man, they you know, you, you got to look hard and almost make a case for a guy that didn't work out. And then the argument is, did it not work out because of A.G. or because of the player? Yeah. I mean, it's it's rarely A.G. A.G.'s fault now. Yeah. So um, but no, I, you're, you're right, man. Twenty years ago, it was kind of hit or miss. And but it was just a different caliber of athlete and player even back then. Yep. You know, our team, that that team, we always kind of compare all good teams to my, my senior year, 0203 with Wallace Kowski, Sean Finn, all those guys. Yep. Even that team looked different. We were good, but we were like fundamental set screens, <laughs> be really good, hard-nosed defenders. It wasn't above the rim flash. Um, yeah. Well, you guys were good. you guys were like a. This is probably the biggest difference for listeners of where the college game has gone now from where it was. Is that your team was a traditional one through five basketball team? Very, you, yes, you, you had Finn at the center. You had Wallace Kowski at the power forward. You were the shooting guard. You had Ramad who was going to bring the ball up, and then you could yep. cycle in a guy at the two or three who was you know like Mark Jones played some. It was, but you get what I'm saying. Like each each guy was like. It was almost like a football roster. Like you had your lineman, you had your running back, you had your quarterback, and you guys were so good because you were all experts at your own roles, right? That's a great point. That's a great point, and that's that is you're right. Basketball has now transitioned into what is is commonly referred to as positionless basketball, and all that means that's just a fancy way of saying your bigs can shoot now, your guards post. I mean, just you 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 don't have a traditional. Hey, you're the you're the two guard for this, or you're the three. I mean, a lot of times your two guards are doing what what forwards do, and your your centers are doing what points do. I mean, it's just it, it's it's now evolved. The game is, and it'll always it'll be ever evolving. Um, but that's why if you look at the makeup of AG's teams, Keith made a good point. Um, I was listening to, I was at the game the other day, but I left a little early, and I was listening to Keith at the end. He made a great point. He was talking about the type of bigs that. That, that AG and staff go after. If you really look at your athletic OB Toppin, uh, Holmes um, type bigs to where they they have to be versatile. You can't have your lumbering old school traditional anchor post anymore because of the style of offense, yep. which is that, that constant flowing read and react. Your bigs need to be able to go inside out type offense. And so, yeah, man, to your point, the game is just, it just looks a lot different today. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, thankfully, uh, Brooks has been able to, to go to practice and see the exhibition. I myself did not see the exhibition because I wasn't around the Dayton area. And so I got to listen, like you said, to Larry and Keith on uh, WHIO for the broadcast. But um, so let, let's get under the hood. I think 95% of listeners have seen very little of the team. Um, probably half the listening base right now at least went to the exhibition, but that can only tell you so much. Um right. Now that you've had a chance to see them at practice, 
Uh, you know, when was the, what was the first thing that stood out to you? I guess you know you said that these guys are big and they're, we have a big team. I mean that's that's kind of um, the most obvious thing on paper. Yeah. But when you got to watch them in practice, you know, kind of what stood out about this team specifically? Ah oh, man, a few things. So so they're really young, and I think everybody knows that. One of the coaches yeah. told me that they're I want to say the third youngest team in the country. Something like um, that. Yeah. Yeah, something wild like that, and and you see it. You you see it when you're watching them, and, and what I mean by that is. Uh, you can see the stuff that, that coach that they have to work on right now are things that next year, two years from now, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time doing it because of the experience. But right now it's kind of a lot of fundamental stuff, defensive That's fundamental basic. stuff, right? Yeah. Like they have to learn. It's a may. And again, yeah, some of those guys are considered freshmen, but they were here last year, but, but there are some guys new to college basketball and, and teaching them how to guard at this level. And then, keeping your intensity level high, even in practice for the, the entirety of the practice, you know, there were some lapses and, and of course, coaches, they jump right on them right away, but, but learning how to play at a maximum level of effort, the entire practice, it's, it's a, it's a skill that you have to learn as you adjust. And so just little basic fundamentals that I don't expect to see them have to be told a year from now, <laughs> that they're that I'm watching coaches have to break down right now. It's kind of just a reminder how young they are. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you had a couple of those practices too with oh, OP, God, where he yeah. busted your ass a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, there was, and that's why I sit back and laugh, man. We were just, you know, he's lighting up Moo because Moo at practice, one of the practices in Pacific, how to how to guard in the post and just to where Moo wasn't doing. I won't, you know, take forever to tell the story, but basically, Moo yeah. was not guarding the way they wanted him to guard. And it was just a basic fundamental that Moo was struggling with picking up. Mm-hmm. But what I have to commend AG on was he literally took three minutes to make sure Moo got it before moving on. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of one of those things where he coaches can't expect that they know what they're doing because they're so young. Uh, you mentioned uh, Elijah Weaver earlier, you know, just trying to keep his head on him. He's a, a guy that's going into his third college season. He had one at USC, sat out a year. Um, or I guess he sat out like half a year because he was half able to play. Yeah. Um, so for all intents and purposes, he's a veteran. You know, he's probably like the the best veteran type of guy we have outside of Kamara. Um, yeah. But I see him as the X factor where if things go well, I have a good feeling that he'll be the catalyst for those things going well, you know, distributing the ball, not turning it over, staying out of out of the way of the playmakers and then getting buckets when we need him to get buckets. But adversely i think if the season doesn't go the way that we think it's going to go it'll probably have something to do with him not controlling the point um as well as we kind of expect so what was what's your feel on weaver here going into the season man so that's going to be an interesting storyline yeah Um, weaver right now he's not even starting like he's he comes off the bench and yeah, and um, people were asking me about that in the exhibition because he was not in the starting lineup in the exhibition. And people said, hey, should we read anything into this? And I said, well, no, because it's the exhibition, but maybe, you know. Well, so so you shouldn't read anything into it from a standpoint of he's in the doghouse. Like that's mm-hmm. that's not the case. But, but But what you can read into it is that's kind of where they see his value right now is kind of being – that Manu Ginobili, six man of the year, Jamal Crawford, you know, like where you Lee can Sanford you, was like that. Yeah, yeah, right. So where you've got the talent to start, but you're you're more effective off the bench. Um, 
I, that's where they're at right now. He also got to work on learning to you. You mentioned it. So he he is what we would, would consider a veteran on this team. He's got to he has to learn how to lead. Yeah, because let's just you know, I won't peel back too much, but yeah. let's just say there he's at a crossroads right now. Are you going to be a leader and, and being a positive example or or not? And, and what I can tell you is because we're so young, they're not going to allow him him or anyone to be a negative influence on the younger players. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like, hey, fall in line. You be a great leader, be a great have a great season or find yourself in the doghouse where he and he's not there yet. I, yeah. I want to make that clear. Yeah. But he, he's got to figure out what he wants from this season. No, I mean, situationally, that makes perfect sense because, you know, let's let's just be real honest here. Going into the season, I think everybody around Dayton kind of expected him to be the point guard and be in the starting lineup every day because he did it last year and he was kind of the heir apparent to Jalen Crutcher when we were looking at the team last year. And once the season's over, you know, the conversation's like, oh, well, what do we have next year? And and I was, you know, I was pretty quick to say, well, I think we have Weaver coming back to, to run the point. So for a 21 year old guy to go from that situation to, hey, you're going to be best used coming off the bench. It not every guy adjusts very well to that. And I'm not going right. to sit here and throw stones because that's that's tough. If I was 20 years old, I'd probably be really tough for me as well. Um, but I I think that's very interesting for my program's pur- purposes alone in that that's probably going to be a storyline this year. And it, it kind of adds to my point where he could be a catalyst for this team's success or he could be an equal catalyst for things that are going wrong. Um, but the roster's so deep that like, you're right. You could very quickly find yourself at the end of bench, not getting minutes. And and that was the other place I wanted to go with this. I mean, you know, with, with the team that's got dudes, I mean, my God, we have like 10, 11 guys that could get meaningful minutes here in the first two months of the season. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting to see how it shapes itself because here's when I, let's be very clear and it's not close Tamani is, is our best player by far. I don't okay. think there's any doubt about that at this point. Yeah, there's no, and if, you know, the exhibition. Yeah, but everybody um, within the organization knew that he, he's a he's an absolute beast. Um, we can go on and on about why, but but yeah, he's he, he's the next draft pick. <laughs> Let's put it. Yeah. I'm putting it out there now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but after that, a name that you want to get familiar with, kind of a, a surprise to everyone, Kobe Elvis. Kobe yep. Elvis is very very good. And, and as we all know as Flyer fans, who, who's going to be the next Scucci, Jalen Crutch? Right? We've been spoiled at point guard the last few years. Well, it, it, it's Kobe Elvis. And what's, I, what's funny about that is Kobe, actually, they plan to bring him in off the ball, like play some two, because he can score it really well. But surprisingly, pleasantly surprised of, of how well he can play the one. He, he's 6'2". He's just got that 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 Jalen Crutcher float game. He just got that feel. So if we're trying to figure out who has a chance to kind of fill those shoes over the next few years, it, it's keep an eye on Kobe Elvis. Wow. Yeah, that that's really surprising to me. And and see, this is the kind of stuff that we don't see as fans. And, you know, when the season's going on, um, a lot of the evidence is very clear and it's right in front of your face, right? Whoever they trot out, whoever gets 20, 25 minutes a game, that's who the coaches are comfortable with and who they rely on. But in the offseason, 
all of these changes have been taking place unbeknownst to the fan base because we don't get to see practice. They don't leave them open. And frankly, that's not stuff they want to report on anyway, because they, they want to have a level of, of secrecy kind of going into the year Absolutely. of here's what we have and here's what we don't have. Um, on the rest of the roster, you know, what else has stood out to you? Have any guys kind of, you know, has their game surprised you or you walked away going, wow, that, that guy really showed me more. I mean, I guess Elvis kind of falls into that bucket, but um, anyone else particularly? Yeah, well, so so Elvis has been kind of the the surprise for me. Yeah, you know, I've heard about him, but he's really, really good. Well, uh, people weren't high on him coming out of DePaul. And be honest with you, oh uh, yeah, I wasn't either. And and he has he has earned that. I Man, he did well in their you know their their closed door scrimmage at West Virginia, um, or against West Virginia. He he's just now. Let me go back. I'm not saying he's Jalen Crutcher today. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, no one, no one's saying that. Yeah, you can, right? it's all right. Yeah, but if but if, if the question is who who fills those shoes over the next next couple, right now he's the guy that looks most like like Jalen. Okay, um, Holmes is really good. What I love about Holmes, and of course he comes in as our you know highest profile recruit. I, I love his motor. So that's the thing that. When you look at these high profile guys, you wonder, especially in today's game, the entitlement, the social media era. Do they come in thinking they're bigger and better than they really are at this level? Yeah. He's got a great head on his shoulders. He works hard. He looks coaches in, the, in their eyes. Yes, sir. No, sir. Shaking his head. He runs the court. He's just he, he, he pursues rebounds outside of his area, which kind of speaks to his motor and effort. He, he's going to be very good. OK, Um let me see. I'm looking at the roster now. I know I'm forgetting about guys all over the place. Like I've done probably six shows or I mean, no, this is episode like number 10. I'm selling myself short. I've done 10 episodes and I can count on one hand the amount of times I've said Lynn Greer, the third, even though he's a legitimate baller. And then I haven't really talked about Mally Smith. You want to call him a little scoochy. He looked yeah. pretty good in the exhibition, too. And I, well, the one thing I loved about him, and I think Larry did say this on the broadcast, is that Mally Smith goes in like a bulldog in a china shop just looking for contact. I love that because Scoochie would dance right around you to get a bucket, which is, you know, it's great. That's why he was so good. But I think it's really funny that his brother has like the opposite persona of I'm going to run you over on my way to the basket. Yeah, so Malachi is is strictly downhill. Like, <laughs> strictly downhill. Like, I'm going to use downhill, that again. <laughs> he, he, he's getting to the basket. Um the, the scouting report on him quickly is going to be let him shoot, right? So it, yeah, that's going to be their focus is developing that jump shot. Uh, but but man, you want to talk about no fear? Yeah, he, he's a guy, and he can defend. He's already a great defender right now. So he's on the London Warren game plan, is what you're there, saying? Yeah, right absolutely, now. <laughs> absolutely. Man. Yeah, he, he can definitely. Uh, he's going to earn minutes because he can defend right now at this level. Yep. yep. Um, Lynn Greer, man, you mentioned it. So I actually met him. Nice kid. Uh, you know, told him I hated playing against his dad. I was, was going to say, you'd be like, Pops gave me buckets back in the day. <laughs> he didn't give me buckets. He gave it to somebody else. But he, but he did give us 40. <laughs> but, but I told him. But, but but here's what's going on with Lynn Greer. Because this, this roster is so deep, uh, you don't have a whole lot of margin of error. Like, like there's not a whole lot of time for immaturity. Yeah. And and what I mean by that, I'm not saying he's an immature young man. I'm saying he's a freshman adjusting to this this level. Yeah, for sure. And so he's he's man, super talented. You hit it on the head. He came in the other night, scored like eight points in seven minutes or something crazy like that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, 
you you have responsibility and requirements to fall in line with what coaches are asking you to do. Yeah. And so I don't I don't want to overstate it like there's some big problem or no. It's 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 that transition that a lot of freshmen go through. Well, no, so, no, you know how it is, man. Yeah. You you get to college and you've been the best player on your team your whole life. And exactly. then all of a sudden you're like the eighth best player on your team. Exactly. And that yeah. that's all it is that's going on right now, man. So it's just kind of a little reality check trying to find find his way. Uh, but but the, the talent, you, you can't mistake. Like there's no there's no mistaking it. The young man can play. So, yeah. you know, getting getting in line and kind of figuring out where you fit in, um, then he may be able to earn some minutes. Uh, <clears throat> the one we're not really talking about is Kobe Brea. Yeah, he gave good minutes getting the exhibition as well. And, and then he's the same way out of all the guys that they're bringing back. He probably got what the third most minutes. I guess you have Amzel Weaver and RJ. So maybe fourth most minutes coming back on the team. Yeah, yeah. And he can play. I think Kobe's a year away from being a, a, a high impact player. Sure. I, I think he'll be solid this year um, because we haven't talked strength and weaknesses of this team. But but one of the weaknesses, if I had to pick one, is we don't really have shooters. And and yes, we have what I consider shot makers. We have guys that can make a shot. Right. Like, yeah, we have guys that could get hot. Like we shot really well the other night. But on paper over over the season, We've got a bunch of guys that I can see shooting 30 to 35% from three. Yeah. Kobe's a guy that is a shooter to where he's got the potential to shoot 40% from three and, and make, you know, two threes a night that you can count on. Um, so maybe he can find his role there. He's got good size. I just, I don't know that he's ready yet to impact the way that, that I think he will the next couple of years, but he can play. For play. sure. For sure. Uh, talking to Brooks Hall here on Talking Out Loud. And uh, thanks for sticking around to the program, whether you're on ESPN Radio 1410 in Dayton uh, or listening to the podcast feed. Um, you know, before we do talk about strengths and weaknesses, you to bookend, you know, kind of the, the roster here. Um, you know, one of the things that worries me the most about this team, and we've indirectly touched on it tonight, is that because there's so many guys that need minutes, because there's so much talent on this team, because there's so many mouths to feed in the proverbial sense um i just see a couple of guys transferring after this year and and you hate to go into the year with that uh in the back of your mind but unfortunately i mean we just spent 15 minutes talking about how he might not get minutes because there's guys in front of him he's a great player but you know if you make mistakes there's guys in front of you um it's definitely a concern as much as it has to be that, you know, we're not going to see a handful of guys come back on this team because there is so much talent. Um, that's the nature of college basketball, and I don't have to belabor it. Um, but it's just something to make listeners kind of aware of as we go into the season that there there's just going to be some mouths that don't get fed. And because of it, um, some guys are going to end up transferring out. But we've said it probably three times now in this broadcast. Um, that's the nature of college basketball, and that's where it's going. And until the NCAA reinstates, the transfer rule well, you have to sit out. I don't think that they're going to. I don't think you can put that toothpaste back in the tube. Um, you know, I, I just don't see the landscape changing. And, you know, if kids want to you know move around and, and transfer, uh, that's certainly what's allotted to them. But um, I would say for Flyer fans to not be shocked uh, if that ends up being the case in uh, in March or April. Right. <clears throat> 
Yeah, I mean, and that's something being this early that you know we won't spend too much time talking about. It's not it. like I'm speculating this guy or that guy. Of well, course. Yeah, 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 can, yeah, we can't. We, I mean, yeah. they haven't played a minute, a real minute yet. But, yeah. but to your point though, that just is kind of the nature of the beast. We talked about the evolution of recruiting and the evolution of college basketball. Unfortunately, that evolved with it. The, the yeah. whole transfer thing, and so you know, yes, there are there are are there going to be unhappy players by the end of this? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. just because there aren't enough minutes for, for a team this loaded. It just is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, but the job of these coaches are to get these young people to understand and accept the vision of the program. And, and if, if you can do that, then you're, you're good, but it just makes it really hard with the transfer rules being the way they are today. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, I do want to know about the strengths and weaknesses, but I do have a trivia question for you, as I always do. Always do. Let's hit the music. Let's play some trivia. So um, game coming up November 9th, UIC is the opener this year. My question for you, Brooks, was that you played seven games in the month of November in UD Arena. I'd like to know if you remember how many games you lost in the month of November in UD Arena. No, I have no idea, but look, give me, give me a second. <laughs> give me a context. I'm going yeah. back to my years real quick. So, yeah. Well, you guys didn't play as many games in November, really, that they do now. So Right. And so fre- freshman year, we were uh, we were like 8-0, 9-0 before we lost. Yep. So I didn't lose then. Sophomore year, I want to say that we went to Maui, so we went 2-1 there. Um, I cannot remember if we – had when we came home if we played in November. Let's see, junior year. Don't remember anything about that. Senior year. We started off slow. My senior year. Okay, all right. So I think you said seven games? Yeah, seven games. I think I lost three. All right. You only lost one actually. Um really? so it, yeah, it was two thousand. Um it was um it would have been that sophomore year. And it was uh, 8275 loss to Cincinnati at UD Arena. That would have been November 29th, 2000. So when did we go to Maui then? I'm trying to think that's So that was year. the same year. That would have been the first game when you guys got back. It would have been like that following. Gotcha. Year. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So I, I stumbled on this. I was trying to figure out a trivia question for tonight. Um, but this coincides. I was Another one I had in the back of my head was the first loss ever at UD Arena in 1969 was also at the hands of the Cincinnati Bearcats. So now everybody's learned, all right? Everyone has now learned. Thank you for educating. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm all about, man. That's why I got the show. (laughs) All right, so you told me before we got on today that now that you've seen some practices, you've seen the exhibition, you have a pretty good idea what we're up against. So so let's get into that. Strengths and weaknesses of this team, I think you've alluded to a couple of them already, but let's start with strengths. I mean, what is this team really going to be good at? What are they going to excel at, and why are they going to win games? I think they'll be really good playing fast um, when needed. They they can they have like we talked about the athletes. They can get up and down the court with anybody. Um, and one thing that we're not used to seeing that they can score around the basket, and that's something you know we we had Obi last year, but we just don't tra- traditionally we're not really a threat at the rim very often. This year's different. Yeah. We've got you know we have uh, homes that can score at the rim. Um, we've got. Amzil, who does a good job of going inside out. Um, Tumani does a great job. He's physical. Explo- oh, man, he does a great job exploiting mismatches yeah. where he can stretch the court. He's a good enough shooter. Um, but then when you put a guard or wing on him, he's so strong and athletic, he goes to that block and just seals really well. So a strength is going to be, again, getting up and down the court and, and actually being a threat at the rim. 
punishing people in the paint. Um, and then we have capable scores. I mean, we literally have what I consider, I mean, just going through the roster now, probably five, five guys or so, six guys that are, that are comfortable putting the bas- the ball in the basket. Which yeah. is a great thing to have. Yeah, yeah, no, and it goes back to the the depth. Um, I think the one thing that I I feel the most safe about this year going into a Dayton season, and I haven't felt this way for a very long time, is the injury situation. I feel yeah. like you know injuries are going to happen. They always do to Dayton, one way or the other. I just don't think they're going to impact the team as much now. You know, if Kamara goes down, it's a big deal. Um, the 2020 team was really uh, lucky in that regard was they didn't have a single, you know, big injury that whole year. Um, but this year, again, I just don't have as much concern over it because of the amount of depth on the roster. And it's good to hear just from the outset that what you're getting from practice is that they have guys that can score around the rim because um, the 2020 team, I, I don't wouldn't necessarily say that they were like great around the rim. I mean, Obi was, but it wasn't right. necessarily their strength. They were just an inside out team that had guys that could exploit you at each of the positions. And they created their own mismatches because everybody, you know, kind of knew what their job was. Um, with that in mind, you know, let's put the youth aside. I think that's the obvious thing to say. All right, this is the team's weakness. They're young. They're going to make mistakes. There's going to be some games where they're in 15, you know, to 20 turnovers. It is what it is. Um, what are the other weaknesses that you've seen from the team so far? Well, and, and before that, I do want to, one other strength that was oh, yeah. very encur- encouraging after watching the exhibition. I don't know what the final number was, but, but at one point, I mean, we had 28 assists and I, we might've finished there. Maybe it was a 29 assist on 37 makes or something crazy like yeah. that. But, but point being, I don't care who you're playing. That shows a willingness to share the basketball. Yeah. And, and to that's have what 2020, that's what they were good at sharing the ball. Yeah, yeah. That's what they did. I mean, we led the country for a good amount of the season that year averaging, put it this way to put that in perspective, we led the country and we're top five from almost the entire season. And we averaged 19 to 20 assists a game. Yep. The other night we had 28, 29 assists. If that gives you an idea of just how well they shared the ball the other night. So yeah. just their willingness to, to share the ball is, is a great thing, especially from a young team. Um, weaknesses, man. I hit on it earlier. I, I'm not saying we can't shoot, right? Like I, I just don't have, there's not, if you look at this roster, there's only one guy that, that you would classify that I would classify as a shooter. Yeah. Now, you're talking to a guy. That's what I did. So I'm, I might be a yeah. little bit more picky than most. You're about critical. You're just critical. That's all. I, I am when it comes to shooting the basketball. That was my thing, Sully. That's your thing, dude. <laughs> but, but, but so I, I will. I will give the nod. We have one shooter in Kobe Bray. He is a light out natural shooter. Um. So teams may zone us, you know, just to see because we talked about it. Our length and we 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 can score around the basket. The, that pro style offense that they run is really tough to guard. It exploits mismatches. I, I think we may see some zone this year. So just being able yeah. to put the ball in the basket from the perimeter is going to be key. Um, yeah. And then turnovers, you know, the, the speed of the game. Yeah. We had 28 assists, 29 assists. I don't even know the turnover number the other night, but they only had six. Yeah. Just, in, you know, you're playing D2 school. But. There you go. That's what I was going to say. That, that number is a little misleading just because, one of the biggest differences between D2 and D1 is the speed of the game. And, and the, so going up against a Cedarville, it's, it's gonna, it was going to be a slower-paced game. Cedarville didn't yeah. pressure them very much. How are we going to handle it when 
we are facing some high level division one athleticism, ball pressure, et cetera. Right. So taking care of the basketball and then there were some alarming things. So yes, that blowout of Cedarville looked good on paper, but the eye test, I can tell you two things that concerned me. One, Cedarville missed a ton of wide open shots. Yeah. So they made zero three pointers in the first half, but I can tell you this, they had about 10 wide open looks. Yeah. It wasn't because our defense was all over the place. So just the breakdown defensively, there were too many of those the other night. Okay. Um, and, and I say that because again, it's a young team. They have to learn terminology, philosophy. There's a, there's a natural feel for rotations that comes with experience. They don't have that yet. A lot of those guys. Um, and then the other piece, Cedarville really hurt us on offensive boards and they're not even an athletic team. So yeah. offensive rebounding, which when you think about our size, it shouldn't be an issue, but it, it I mean, Cedarville had a ton of offensive rebounds the other night. So hopefully that's not an ongoing problem. Yeah. The one, the one thing that I saw, <clears throat> you know, that I had heard and I've seen highlights and I, you know, heard the conversation taking uh, all of this with a grain of salt. The one thing that I know is going to happen and this is just going back to how college basketball players are wired and what tends to happen when things are not going their way. This team kind of did it against Cedarville. When you're playing a D2 school, it doesn't really matter as much, but um, they are going to fall back and rely on the three when they get in trouble in certain games. And I have a feeling now hearing that, oh, you know, we don't really have a real um, great shooting roster or we don't have guys that are developed shooters. I think that might be an undoing of them, you know, down the road here where things aren't going your way that night and now you're jacking up threes and now you're shooting 25 percent going into the half and you're you're down a few. You know, I I see with a young roster where that could kind of be a a fallback option for them. Um, And, you know, that's the stuff that we're trying to figure out in the preseason, right, is that when things aren't going well, who's going to step up? What kind of plays are they going to make? And uh, I think Keith even said it things weren't necessarily going their way in the early part of the first half. And they were just chucking up a lot of, a lot of threes instead of sticking with the offense, sticking with, with, with what is proven um, and just playing your game. And, and that's kind of something like you said, that comes with experience. Cause you know, I'm sure you guys had games when it wasn't going well, but you know, as a veteran, Hey, if we stick to what we're good at, eventually it's going to bear fruit and we'll, we'll come out on top. Right. No, absolutely. And, and, and I, I, I forgot one other guy that I would actually give the nod of being a knockdown shooter. Uh, Kobe Elvis, actually. He was three he, for three in the exhibition from downtown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't luck. Like he he can shoot the basketball. So yeah. so Kobe um, and, and then you've got Kobe. So you got Kobe and, and Brea. Yeah, yeah. You got Kobe Elvis, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe Brea. Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> so but but th- they can shoot the basketball. But yeah, man, I, I, I don't know I, now. What I did like, and they did not do a lot of this at Cedarville, and hopefully none of you know the opponents aren't listening to this podcast. But uh, <laughs> so Dayton is going to try to to incorporate more full court pressure this year, which I love to hear. Yeah, interesting, yeah, um, they can. Some, What's some, up? Yeah, there you go, and and some full court man and some some zone trapping, and it's just so they didn't show a lot of that the other night, but but that is in the back of their mind. We are going to see more of that this year than we're used to seeing from Dayton teams. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's been a few years, I think, since uh, since we have had that full court pressure. Uh, we're wrapping up talking to Brooks Hall here on Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully, as always, uh, talking about the Dayton Flyers season coming up here against UIC on uh, November 9th. Last thing I wanted to ask you, man, and I don't think there has been a lot of conversation about this, um, and specifically this guy, for, for one reason or another. Uh, I think it's because of the guys that came in with him, but UD, well-recruited, uh, or sorry, you know, it's well-established that we had our best recruiting class this past year, headlined by Deron Holmes, Malachi Smith, Lynn Greer were in that class as well. But the other guy that was a top 100 was Caleb Washington. I knew and, you were going to ask about I him. I know. And, and for one reason or another, man, I, I just haven't heard a lot about him. Um, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, he's just your very you know standard freshman that comes in and tries to earn minutes. But in my eyes, I'm like, well, he was a top 100 guy. And when we have gotten those guys in the rare occurrences, they kind of play right away. So, um, you know, just curious if you saw something from him or, 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 you know, he looks long, he looks athletic. He looks like everything that I kind of thought he would be when I saw the film and he was playing AAU, but I, I just haven't heard that much about him so far. You hit it on the head. It's, it's There's nothing to be alarmed about. It literally is a situation where, Yes, he was a, a highly touted recruit coming in, but he's he's coming into a, a very deep roster. Yeah, and I hope he sees so, it through. You know, yeah, and and I think he will. So what I'm watching body language is he seems he seems to have a positive attitude, uh, just like Holmes. He he looks, you know, Washington looks coaches in the eye. He acknowledges what they're saying. I just think that it's one of those things where he's he's trying to adjust to the college game. Yeah, um, but no, he looks the part. His length, his athleticism, he can be very good. And, and actually, he's a guy as the season goes on, you can see his role. I can see his role changing and increasing as he adapts to the college game. Yeah, that's that's good to know. And that's, again, why we're here, why we're talking about it, why, you know, we're just trying to get um, a feel for the team, because, you know, this show right here is like the uh, 2000 most diehard Dayton fans that that want all of the nuts and bolts of the team. And I guess that's why I've had 10 episodes before the season's even started, because there is an appetite to learn about the roster here. Um, but, you know, I can't help but think of after this conversation, I'm walking away, just learning a little bit more about what we're going to see. Um, I think the starting lineup is um, close to where I could feel comfortable saying to somebody, here's who I think is going to start on Tuesday. Um, but it's, it's going to be great to be back in the arena, man. Uh, last question for you before we let you go is, you know, what are you looking forward to the most about getting back in the arena with uh, a full amount of fans? The exhibition doesn't count. You know, there's, there's like 3,000 empty seats. Yeah, just the energy. I mean, you kind of alluded yeah. to it. Um, that's what was missing last year. It was weird. I mean, I calling games on the radio from the 200 section. I mean, we weren't even allowed near the court and that was, that was weird. And with cardboard yeah. cutouts behind me and, and oh, just, so sick of those dude. <laughs> yeah, man, it was it, just, everything about last year sucked, you know, and it yeah. was, yeah, well, yeah. I was thankful to even have basketball, but it, for fire fans like us, we were spoiled. So it was, it, it really didn't count in my mind, you know? So yeah, getting back into the arena with the band and the crowd and the, just the smell of the food and just little stuff that you took for granted, man. It was, it was nice being back in there even for the exhibition. But what I will say, I, it was not, the energy was low. Like I don't think yeah. it, it had the feel of an exhibition. Like people just, yeah. it was cool to be there, but I'm looking forward and I'm actually calling the game, you know, against UIC. Okay. I'm just looking forward to being in there for the opener 
because I think the, the energy will be through the roof that night. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is when uh, when your first game is Brooks going to be calling a lot of the games with Larry Hanskin on, on WHIO. And uh, I think I reached out to you after you had gotten your schedule. So first month here, uh, which games do you have? And then are you going to Orlando or, or no? No. So Pastorino, former player, Josh Pastorino, he yep. also worked for the university. So yep. his job is, and I don't want to butcher the, the title, but, but, with alumni, he deals with alumni. So those oh, I big know. You, I, when I talk to him, he can never tell me what he does, but he's got some title. You know, he does something <laughs> that's important. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some important job, man. Just making alumni feel good. But but yeah. he travels on those trips, so he's already there. Okay. So yeah. so he'll do that. Um, but I'm trying to pull up my schedule now. What I can tell you is I've got most of the home games. Okay. I'm calling most of the home games with Larry, starting with the first one. You know, next week. Yeah, and I I like to I I, I complain about the schedule a lot. It's kind of my brand. Um, I always complain about the schedule because there's things to complain about, and this year it's really no different. I mean, there's probably too many yeah. games that are um that are lower quality, but. Um, the, the last thing I was going to wrap up with tonight is that I, I do really like the idea of this team playing four games against four inferior teams before they actually have to um, you know, play some teams that matter. And I know that you know the importance of that even in your own career is that you kind of do need those games to, to get right, uh, to get things gelled, and, and it just makes the season a lot easier going downhill. Yeah, and, and I get it. Listen, I'm a fan as well, uh, and so I want them to play every game tough, and it, it should be a fun game to watch, right? But the reality is there is a strategy to scheduling, and and those numbers, strength of schedule, all that stuff, it plays a part, but losing, isn't it, it, it matters on your resume. So we've got a team full of unknowns. So, yeah, it, they couldn't be as risky with the scheduling this year because of that. Now – Next year and the years moving forward, look for that schedule, to, that non-con to be tougher yeah. because our team will be a little bit more established. But this year, it's kind of trying to find that fine balance of, OK, how do we let our young guys grow, but also challenge them and then not come out of the non-con with a two and ten record? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it doesn't so. do anybody any good either. Yeah, yeah, yeah I no, get it. absolutely. Um, all right, man. Well, you know the you know the drill. You get final thoughts here on the program before we close up the talking out loud hour. And uh, it's it's always great to have you on. We will certainly be doing it again uh, down the road as the season progresses, man. But uh, final thoughts for listeners tonight. Nah, yeah, listen, I appreciate you you having me on, man. It's always good to talk talk basketball with you, man, just catching up. And what I would say, it's no different than any other year. Try to be patient. I I can't tell you how it's going to start because there's going to be some highs and lows. What I can probably tell you is that this team is going to win games they shouldn't. And unfortunately, (laughs) there's a chance they're going to drop games that they shouldn't. Um, I hope we see more of the the winning games that, that they weren't supposed to win on paper. But I can tell you this, it's cliche, but it's so true with this team. The future is ridiculously bright and, you know, they've got a chance to actually compete for a league title this year, best case scenario. And I I wasn't sure I'd be able to say that, but after seeing them live, they've got the talent um, to actually compete, complete, I'm sorry, to compete for a league championship this year. So hopefully it goes well. I absolutely feel the same way. I've said as much on this program a few times. Uh, so that'll do it for the show this evening. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday after Dayton's home opener against UIC. We will likely have a rapid reaction after the game as well. But this is finally, finally the last show that we're doing before the games matter again. 
uh, for Brooks Hall. I am Sully, the host of Talking Out Loud, and you know there are two rules until next week. You wear red and be loud. Slashed and torn
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.